interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. So I would invite you to uh, just raise your hand and or stand up, speak loud and clear. And uh, Dr. Edgar, if you're able to restate uh, the question concisely for the recording, that's always helpful. Thank you. Yeah, how, do, how does one deal with the fact that many people who are unbelievers or even atheists are good people by any measure of human goodness? Um, of course, um, Jesus himself said so um, and um, recognized that many people who are in this world or the children of men are, are wiser or better um, than, than the, the children of light. And I think... Um, the theological answer to that would be that God doesn't limit his grace to believers, but he um, pours out his love and his grace on people from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures. Um, The term that is used for this is called common grace, um, but that's a kind of easy label which you don't want to use if it's going to mask the fact that it really is grace. Um, John Calvin, the great Reformation theologian, loved uh, Greek art and, and, and Greek literature. And he commented often on how, how it was that this culture that had no apparent Christian underpinnings could produce such wonderful artwork. And he said, well, it goes back to God's generosity. Um, and um, I think we'd have to say as Christians that that generosity would not be possible without the cross. Um, there is... Even for God, uh, no possibility of sort of ignoring evil and ignoring sin um, he, he, without doing something about it. So that if he wants to benefit the human race, even outside of being believers, he will do it through the cross. So even common grace is rooted in the cross. Um, and I think um, it manifests itself in many ways. And sometimes I think Christians are mistaken to limit Uh, the benefits of God and the goodness of God to his own people and to the church. Um, We are all, whether believers or not believers, made in God's image. And bearing God's image means that we have a consciousness where God is with us. We have fruit-bearing capability. We are a people of culture. Uh, We can live in families. We can love. Um, and, And that's just a gift of God to be in his image. There's a famous, uh, most of you will know this, a famous friendship um, in the 18th century developed between two uh, unlikely mates. um, George Whitfield, the fiery evangelist, and Benjamin Franklin, the rational, measured, pragmatic, as far as we know, unbeliever. And um, Richard Mao, in a wonderful book about common grace, um, he shines in all that's fair, has a chapter about this friendship in which he says Whitfield wasn't interested in um, Benjamin Franklin because he thought he could help his soul. He just liked being with him. And um, 
He's, he, Richard Mao suggests that God actually enjoys human friendship. It's a good thing. Um, it doesn't have to have an evangelistic purpose. Of course, I'm sure he would have been happy if Franklin had come, had come around, but he wasn't using his friendship as a kind of means to some end. Um, and I think a lot of times we Christians think that the only goal of everything we do is sort of narrowly evangelistic, and we don't know how to enjoy the creation. Uh, good friendship, good food, good music, uh, because it's just a gift of God. So I, I would explain, if, to go back to your question, this, if I could be so bold, by the, uh, the goodness and the kindness and the generosity and the talent of unbelievers. In the same place, I'd explain the goodness of God as he manifests it in, in believers. It's, it's because um, he's extraordinarily generous um, uh, and he doesn't limit his generosity to, to, to the church. I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah. Um, René Girard, the French uh, philosopher who actually lived most of his life in, in America, has developed a theory which I think has something to it, which is that every society, in order to function, needs a scapegoat. And um, he's a Christian, so he thinks... The, real, the, the, the reason for that is because there really is a need for a scapegoat. There's a need for um, atonement um, because of our guilt. But he gives examples from many different contexts of where societies set forth a, a scapegoat. And they're usually totally inadequate because they're only one or they're from somebody from the wrong side of the tracks or it's a child or whatever it might be. Um, Orlando Patterson, uh, the, the Harvard sociologist, has done much of his life's work on the rather sordid topic of blood rituals, particularly the lynchings of the Reconstruction era in, in the American South. And um, he believes that these are rituals of atonement, which are completely misguided, uh, but they're for the saving of honor. Now, I think there's something to this only because we are in need of, our, of having our guilt cleansed. And therefore, if we're going to have any freedom at all, there has to be a way to cleanse the guilt. Now, we invent all kinds of inadequate ways rather than going to Christ. Some of them are just laughable and silly. Like, you know, why are there so many soap ads where you see people in showers getting clean? Um, or or it, it's psychologists. You know, these aren't just little innocent things. Psychologists are telling Madison Avenue people, um, people feel dirty. And they need to see a lot of folks in taking showers so they'll feel better, you know. Uh, and um, so, so some of it's laughable. Some of it's, it's hor horrific um, when it comes to things like lynchings and, and uh, patricide. Uh, but, but I think without going too far with this, um, we do need a scapegoat. Um, whenever you do something wrong, you go and find somebody to blame. It's often not yourself. Um, if you blame yourself, you, even that isn't enough because you're not a good enough scapegoat. So God has provided the perfect uh, sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, who, uh, because of who he is and because of his life and, and so forth, um, was able to absorb all of that guilt on himself. And in, when he literally suffered the pains of hell on behalf of, of, of humankind at the cross. And so, when we know that, 
we then don't have to invent substitutes. Um, we, we can then freely go ahead, make mistakes, stumble, ask God to forgive us. He has because of Christ. Move on. And, um, and, and, and that's where we uh, make the atonement into a, a, a positive working reforming principle rather than just um, something that saves us once and for all. So just those are some random comments on that. I don't know if that's helpful at all. Yeah, in the back. In the West? Yeah. Well, um, in um, where I grew up in France, it, um, it was kind of the Marxist um, philosophy that, um, that said the oppressor is the is always the one who owns the instruments of production. Therefore, we have a right to overcome um, that oppressor by various rituals. Um, it might be the strike. Um, it might be um, boycotts. It might be violent in, in some cases. Uh, that would be one example. And, you know, you have all kinds of um, tendencies uh, to, uh, to find people who are blameworthy. Again, just to refer to the country I come from, much of the blame for things that are going wrong is put on immigrants. Uh, that's one of the rhetorics that you hear. You know, if, if, we don't, if France just had French people and not a lot of immigrants, um, everything would be fine. And so there's a, there's a persecution uh, there of, of immigrants. Now, it's not only that. I'm oversimplifying, but there's a, immigrants are having a hard time. Um, uh, so th- those are those are some examples. Um, gosh, there's I don't know if I'd want to go there, but um, America sometimes has a messianic complex about itself um, and atones sometimes by bringing its message to people that um, didn't ask that it be brought to them. Um, and sometimes that can be violent. Maybe this part will have to be excised from the recording. But uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, that is one, I, that's my conviction. I shouldn't be ashamed of it. I think there, are, there is a messianic tendency when a country becomes secularized. I mean, this is a fascinating subject. Um, from New England and Virginia, which were a very um, religiously informed um, kind of messianic uh, ideas, um, Through the secularization of this in the 19th century, for example, Melville wrote The Confidence Man. Um, That's surely a a secularization of um, the more biblically or theologically oriented um, forefathers to Wilsonianism, part of which really has little or nothing to do with Christianity, but it's it's a, a mission to bring democracy to the world. Um, you can't help thinking that we have we've allowed ourselves some rituals of atonement, even though we're probably a lot more restrained than, than some. So you didn't invite me here to speak about politics, but you asked for examples. <laughs> Another question. Right in the center. Okay. Yeah, um, this is sort of, how is it relevant to even ask the question about God? I mean, can you be with us? No, I don't. Uh, let me try to rephrase your question. If... Um, this is going back to the first question, if God is good to the believer and the unbeliever indifferently, what, what do you, why even ask the question, 
can you be good without God? Can you even be without God? No, I think your, your question is moving in the right direction. I would just say we need to find some way to persuade people who think otherwise. And so, you know, I, I gave you some thoughts about why people who think otherwise are going to end in a bad place. Um, but my deep conviction is like yours. We, not only can we not be good without God, we cannot even be without God. Our, our very uh, living and breathing and um, consciousness is only possible because, because of God. Um, and I, I think, but I can't just presuppose it and sort of preach it. So I'm trying to persuade, um, which is why I asked the question and, you know, took you through those steps. But I, I, I think I'm understanding you right. Um, I don't. Uh, I agree with you. We can't even be without God. Sure, <laughs> I'll try. Can I comment on how to relate to um, Muslims who uh, don't believe that Christ could be God and, and, and have a very different concept than we do? Um, the, there are many levels of relating to Muslims. I presume you're talking about person to person level, not sort of big political stuff. Um, in my conversations with Muslims, what usually ends up happening it, when it goes somewhere is that I, the, the, my friend will admit that he is not sure he is personally loved, even though he confesses who Allah is and that he is all merciful. And... Um, and so in my conversation, I would try to say, you know, praying five times a day and, and uh, being faithful at Ramadan, um, these disciplines are not bringing you spiritual relief in, in your own words. And then I would try to help the person to see that uh, that's because nobody can please God um, by, by good works. Um, it has to be grace. Um, you know, the, there's a myth that many Muslims grow up with, which is that when you're born, you're assigned two angels throughout your life. One hovers over your left shoulder and the other hovers over your right shoulder. And it's the duty of the angel on your left shoulder to record all your bad words and deeds and thoughts. And the duty of the angel on the right side to record all your good words, deeds and thoughts. And you have to hope that when you come before the gates of heaven, that the, the ledger on the right angel will be heavier. Um, but, but, and you, you don't know. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of, the most successful conversations I've, I've had with Muslims, besides all the big debates on politics, you know, where there's a lot to say, um, are on this level of um, sensing the personal love of God. And um, they're much more open to seeing that Christ could be God if they can see that the mercy of God extends to sacrificing his own son when they see the inadequacy of, of, um, of a legalism to give them personal rest, um, then they would be, if you started attacking Allah or a false view or saying the Quran has errors or something, that stuff almost never works. Some thoughts. Shall we take one more question? There. The word oh, does believing in God necessarily lead to goodness? I think the word necessarily would have to be discussed, um, <laughs> which is what you're asking about. Um, 
you know, if you mean, is there some sort of mechanical uh, force, um, ex opero operandi, whereby you're a believer, therefore you're going to be good, I'd say no. Um, because many things have to be involved. Normally, there should be improvement. Normally, um, you know, there should be substantial progress. But there's a lot of things that break the norm. Um, also, um, we have to be a part of it. We have to, um, you know, be responsible. And God works with our responsibility. It's a, com- it's a complex relationship. But you can't just sit back and say, OK, God, make me good. Um, there's got to be a, a participation. Um, also, we shouldn't be fooled by appearances. Um, I think C.S. Lewis helpfully points out that if you judge a person to be really bad compared to this person who's really good, uh, you might be uh, unfair because you don't know what this really bad person has come from. Something much worse. And his being really bad is actually far better than the person who's, who looks good. So um, measuring goodness is a hard thing. Um, we don't know the depth of, of how bad we are. We really don't. Um, we, um, we are worse than we can possibly imagine. But we also don't know that the heights of God's requirements, they're far loftier and higher than we can possibly imagine. So thankfully, the only one who can make this connection between who we are and who we're supposed to be is the Holy Spirit. And uh, we don't see him a lot of the time. We, we just see the evidence sometimes, but we just let him do the work. So long-winded way of saying, let's not judge the goodness of somebody only by appearances. Uh, so, yeah, we should, we should get better, but that's a, it's a complicated thing um, involving both um, our own activity and God's wonderful grace, which is not always visible. That's a good place to wrap up. And please uh, join me in thanking Dr. Edgar for the previous talk.